0: You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out Race92.com for all your racing merchandise needs. I'm your co-host, Aaron McAtee, other co-host. You may have seen walking out of Barber Lines 459 with a big smile on his face. You may have seen him in St. Petersburg, Florida this past weekend. He is Scott Bowie.
1: Hey, Aaron, what's going on?
0: Not once. I see. Um, even if I say that you weren't at St. Petersburg, Florida, I think people would realize you were somewhere where the sun was out. So, um, man, that sun
1: was that sun was violent. I uh, I forgot to pick up some sunscreen, and this is the result. I don't know. I was pretty bad last year after this race too, though.
0: I have to go I, back uh, and look at the episode after. Yeah, I
1: was pretty. was pretty bad. It's pretty funny. It Looks like I have a red mask on.
0: Yeah, it it's, does. Uh,
1: it's pretty violent,
0: but, uh, Hey man, you don't, uh, you don't prepare. You, you get burnt, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You say you forgot it. You know, you can, you can buy sunscreen. I know as well.
1: I know. And I'm sure every day we probably walk by three places where I could have bought some too. Oh, absolutely. You know, that is one thing at the racetrack. <laughs> if anybody wanted to just be a vendor for sunscreen, you probably do pretty decent. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. But um, but, uh, but sounds like it was a, a fun weekend, and obviously I watched the race at least, and um, I watched I think most I so I watched Indy next race obviously, and then I watched Indy car race.
1: Yeah, you know, uh we got there Thursday. I went to the track Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um I mean, it's a hell of an event. Uh Man, the people there love it. Uh, had great engagement, all the local news, everybody, you know, every morning they had stories, they were interviewing drivers. Um, they said sales were good. Uh, I mean, I heard some people say it was a sellout. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, but, uh, I mean, it had a hell of a crowd and, uh, man, uh, eventful weekend, uh, in every division was it was uh, eventful
0: oh absolutely um so yeah g- great race and um i mean outside of that well first off indycar race um mark almost forgot who won marcus erickson um you know a g- great way for him to start out of the season obviously last year um having the highs of highs winning the indy 500 and great way to start start of the year for sure and um uh, dixon man dixon's still looking strong
1: Man, Scotty D doing what Scotty D does. He's just going to sit there and run the top three. Unfortunately, um, he was kind of involved in that first, the first real big melee of the day. He and Rosenquist get together and then it kind of snowballs. And then you had a massive crash behind him. Um, you know, it's pretty violent for some of the drivers. Glad to see everybody walk away, okay. Uh, Ben Peterson's, um, his arrow screen was cracked or broken, whatever term you want to use. Um, but you know, they all walked away. I guess Helio was limping a little bit, maybe Uh, a couple of them had some hand injuries from it. Nothing, nothing broken. It doesn't sound like, but, uh, man, that's that place is tight. Uh, I mean, like I kind of alluded to, there was crashes in every division, uh the the first the first inning next practice only got is like a 40 minute practice and i think they only got 20 minutes of practice because they had two reds right off the bat um with two of the more experienced drivers in that division Mm -hmm. so it i mean that place is tough it's it's as tough as any track you could start off with that's for sure
0: yeah i know like during the race they showed um (laughs) and <laughs> one of the turns, they showed like six or seven race cars just sitting there. It was almost like a graveyard. Um, yeah, just... I saw that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we uh, we didn't stay for the uh, IndyCar race. Uh, we left. We go to a place that we affectionately refer to as Pregnant Hooters because it's a wing place like Hooters, but many of the waitresses seem to always be pregnant. Uh, it's right by Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay which is right by the airport so that's why we head over there because we fly in and out of Tampa Bay um, so we watched the race there uh, so I got to see that um, yeah it's just it, it's too bad I hate to see that much equipment torn up uh, David land alluded to this in uh, in his video from yesterday where he said people are saying well maybe maybe there's too many cars it had nothing to do with the amount of cars it just has to do with guys not willing to give each other room,
0: yeah. And our, I mean, I don't have anything against St. Petersburg, but you know, being the first race, especially with some of the rookies and stuff, it's just really throwing people into the rules, right? right? I mean, it's just,
1: yeah, yeah, it's just like they throw you right into the octagon to tell you to go at it, right?
0: No, absolutely. Um, and I mean. Out outside of that, um we had Formula One, um Formula One at um where was Formula One so Bahrain Bahrain, I yes believe. and uh you got
1: I know people are gonna be shocked, Max one. Uh, but the real shocker is is man look who's look who was standing on the podium in third. You know, Alonzo, you know, all of a sudden He's just going to start standing on podiums again. Uh, so great for him. I mean, that's, man, you know, a lot of people, I think, just think of him as being the old guy, and that guy just gets it done no matter what he's doing. Um, and then we had uh, NASCAR. Of course, a little, little uh, uh, bad deal for one of their biggest stars, and Chase Elliott breaking his leg while snowboarding uh josh barry had to hop in the car i'm sure that's going to be that way for the next two three weeks minimum i would imagine uh but you had william byron win and kyle larson run second so things are things seem to be status quo in nascar as well
0: yeah no absolutely um I mean, outside of that, um, I mean, I mean, that's really the news, right? I mean, I, I would say yeah. racing's definitely the racing season's definitely started, obviously Daytona 500 a couple weeks ago. Um, and now, you know, with IndyCar and Formula One starting, we're definitely, it's crazy. Yeah,
1: we're, we're in the middle of racing season. Um, Indy next, as we alluded to, uh, co-host, friend of the show, Jagger Jones, his first real, uh, Indy next race. Um. Practice was a little rough for him. Uh, we come to qualifying, picked it up. He was top 13. Uh, his teammate was right there with him. Uh, come race time, um, picked up spots on the start. Uh, on the restart, he picked up two spots. Was actually challenging for eighth. And unfortunately, he and another car couldn't decide who deserved that. <laughs> piece of racetrack more and he ended up in the tire barrier and his day was done but uh he learned a lot it's it's a huge jump from usf to next um i mean uh, you know just kind of for everyone and uh plus they had unfortunately some other obstacles the team had to overcome but uh it's got a great teammate fast teammate i think uh I think as the season goes, um, they're going to really, really turn some heads. And I I mean, they could have easily both ran in top six yesterday, um, even without the crashes in the, in the race. Uh, And they may have ran up further. Uh, So race wise, they were good qualifying. They were a little off, but uh, they're figuring it out. And it, it, you know, hopefully come Indy time, Uh, they'll both be hitting their stride and see what they can do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely look look forward to see what happens. And um, I know, you know, the Firestone tires is really kind of level the playing field a little bit. So I think that's definitely to their advantage. Yeah, it really has. Um, And the
1: Firestones, like, like they were saying, you know, the Firestones are just different. Like the other, I heard some of the other teams talking about just that, you know, they're just different, and, like, at the end of qualifying, they kept getting faster, where they expected a lot more uh, speed. they lose a lot more speed toward the end of qualifying. So that was actually kind of interesting because a lot of teams figured by their third lap, they would have really ran their fastest lap. And I think the Indian Next pole sitter, I think, may have ran their fastest lap on their last lap. So, um yeah, it's just it's just a whole new ball of wax and a whole different game. And uh but like you said, it kind of levels it for everyone. I mean, everybody's engineers have gotta just gather data and gather data and gather data and and you know make their decisions from that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I think um so so this episode we're releasing with um Jordan King. Jordan's a great guy, drove in the Indy five hundred. Um, drove in a season of IndyCar. Um, now is a simulator driver for Alpine Formula One team. Um, great guy. Great talk. I think everyone will enjoy it. Um, and then next week, we're going to, or in two weeks, we'll release, um, I believe, Brian Till.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. No, he, Jordan was great. Um, good dude. Um, really good talk. And it's just interesting, especially to hear, you know, someone talk about the sport. who you know you know they they went from being a full-time driver uh just a couple of years ago to you know just finding their ways in the sport and just staying in the sport um which is something that many many drivers have to figure out and I, I just think that's it's always an interesting talk when you when you talk to these guys
0: oh absolutely and you know talking about brian till um he's that was, you know, that was a very good talk as well, because he's very, um he's very reflective and just very, you know, just looks, looks back at his career and um very honest. And it, I think a lot of people really enjoy that one as well.
1: Yeah, I think. That, yeah, absolutely. I think so as well.
0: Well, I think we'll go ahead and jump into the Jordan King interview and, um. Hope everyone has a great week and I hope everyone likes and subscribe. Check also check out other videos on YouTube, um, including our fast times pro versus Joe's video series, fast times indoor Karting. Um, So yeah. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. I hope everyone has a great week.
1: Yeah. Thanks everybody. And I, I got to give a shout out to Colby Jaggers roommate in college. He listens to the show. Funny guy. Uh so it's it always good seeing him. Uh and, and uh yeah, everybody take care.
0: Absolutely. Our guest today is a former Formula One test driver, drove an indie car, including the 2019 Indianapolis five hundred. We're joined by Jordan King. Jordan, it's it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So uh me and Scott both live in Indianapolis. I live right pretty much right next to the track. So I I'm definitely familiar with you from when you drove an car and drove the Indianapolis 500. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to, you know, to see you and, um, you know, be able to talk to you. So talk a little bit about kind of how, how did you first get interested in racing?
1: Uh, so
2: very, very random, really. Uh, I've always loved sport from a very young age. If you ask, you know, anyone in my family, they've always said I've you know, been mad for sport and always wanted to be a professional sportsman. Of some kind and i hadn't decided uh what what sport that would be until much later on um but when i was 12 years old no 11 years old i think it was actually i went indoor karting just at the arrive and drive place down the road from where i live um loved it did a little bit more went a few more times and then the owner there said you know you've you've come a few times and been quite Quite good, you know, you're at least driving in a straight line and not crashing, I suppose, at, at that sort of age. And uh, looked into kind of the next steps and it, it snowballed from there. And when then what I would say real karting, outdoors, British Championship, then European Championship, uh, and that sort of thing. um And then at about 15, 16 years old, it was kind of decided uh, that I that was what I wanted to do. So I then really committed myself. To the racing and
0: yeah went went from there so you so your family didn't really have any kind of history with motorsports at all or involvement no nothing so i uh, much more n- normal sports
2: so i played soccer for the american listeners uh rugby cricket all the sports that you probably don't play in america but um yeah more more normal for european european people i would say and uh yeah, never never looked at motorsport. I remember even once I was, uh, I was outside playing in the garden and I came in and asked my dad to come out and play soccer with me. Um, and he was watching the Formula One. So I even dragged him away from motorsport to come and play a different sport with me when I was, you know, like 10 years old. So, uh, yeah, no, no push from the parents, no real connection before that. And then, yeah, after, after I kind of had my first taste, I got the bug and, and that was it.
1: What was it about it that you like, that it really spoke to you?
2: It's a bit of everything. I, you know, I'm I'm super competitive, as as it is anyway. So anything I do, you know, even if I just go for a little jog with my friends, I'm still competitive uh, now about that. And with motorsport, you were competitive against other people, but you're also competitive against yourself. Um, and I suppose my internal uh analytical brain you can measure everything everything's got lap time so even from a very young age you go out you do a lap time and you can see whether you've done a good job or a bad job um and you know that fuels the competitive fire inside me um i mean who doesn't like driving fast <laughs> driving fast I'm, I'm definitely a bit of an adrenaline junkie i've broken more bones uh, than i've got fingers to count them. So. I, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy speed. I enjoy danger and sport competitiveness. It, it just kind of ticked a lot of the boxes in one.
1: Did you, um, would you say that, uh, it really is? I mean, like you said, there really is this thing about racing it, it, your next lap is either good or not good in, in your eyes, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you can tell immediately where you're at. And I, I can see like for myself that's one thing that draws me to motorsports. It's either that's better or it's worse or it's the same. And there's no opinion about it. There's no you can't argue with the time.
2: Yeah. It's it's very black and white, isn't it? You know, you you're right. either good, you're good or you're bad. Um and uh you know, another sport that I really lean towards quite a lot because it is you know, obviously motorsport's got the car element as well. You've got the driver and the car, whereas things like athletics, track and field, you know, that is an individual competing at their best against other individuals competing at their best. Um, so, you know, I, I dabble in uh, track and field events because it's a really nice getaway for me to just be like, you run and if you're not quick enough, you don't win. And the only person you can blame is yourself because there's nothing else involved. If you haven't trained enough, you haven't worked hard enough, or you're just not good enough You have a good day, you can only blame yourself. Um, And there is that element in motorsport, but then there's a massive team element to it as well. You know, with an Indy car, there was another 40, 50 people working behind the scenes within formula one it was up to a thousand people, a team. Uh, And It isn't just a sole thing. So, you know, also with motorsport, it tapped into my team aspect of other sports that I played as a kid. So I like that. You know, you had to work together. You need to get more out of other people. And you were doing your bit for other people as well, which, you know, I'm I'm always the sort of person that I think I would want myself on a team if I was playing, you know rugby because i know i would commit myself to it and i I feel like that with motorsport you've got both you've got your point with yourself you're on your own that's your lap you're out there if you don't do a good job that's your fault but then in the same instance everyone else is relying on you to do that good job so you've got the pressure there and it all, all comes together quite nicely
0: right so when you started racing, would you say that you, did you set like a goal? Like, because people have goals like to be in Formula One or like at what point in your racing career did you say like, I want to do this or that?
2: Um, it was
0: probably a little bit
2: later on. You know, I think when you first start anything, you're doing it as a hobby, you're doing it for fun. Um, and at 12 years old, yes, I knew I wanted to do sport my whole life because that's just my outlet. Um, but it being motorsport who really knows um i remember turning up at racetracks with muddy knees from playing sport and tired from you know bruises and all sorts from everything else i've been doing that weekend and you you'd rock up and have missed miss the session i'd miss free practice or something and then go straight into qualifying and obviously know, when you're 12 years old it doesn't really matter does it um but it wasn't actually until i uh, broke my collarbone playing football sorry playing soccer um, And I was more disappointed I couldn't go racing for six, eight weeks than play my other sport. And then in my mind, so I was, what, 16 years old in my mind, that was like, ah, okay, so this is what I really want to do. That's where my heart's at. I need to stop playing my other sports and and focus 100% on this. So, yeah, once that kind of trigger switched, I then fully committed to it. Everything I did was to make me better at driving a race car
0: absolutely um so and you were so your first time in an actual race car outside of karting you were like you said 15 right it was formula Renault. Or- um no it was a little bit older than that
2: i my first
0: race <laughs> i did i would have been
2: just before i was 17 so like and end of the year i was 16 type type thing um yeah my first full season i was 17 in castle
0: okay so obviously you kind of worked through the ladder. Um, you you ended up in Formula 2. Um, you were successful in that. And then that's where you kind of got, you got the Formula 1 test driver deal from that, correct?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's just that like karting is very much the same as in cars. So you go up the ladder uh, in karting. And then when you get into cars, you almost start again. As you mentioned, Formula Renault is then at the bottom. It's all changed a little bit since since I did it. There's now Formula 4. To make it easier, Formula Four, Formula Three, Formula Two, and then Formula One. So, yeah, went all the way through to Formula Two. Uh, did a good job. Got the reserve drive at um, Manor, and I was there for two years. So drove a Formula One car half a dozen, a dozen times. Uh, and then, yeah, then from that, pretty much came over to your side of the pond and and raced an Indy car.
0: Um, so driving a Formula One car, like, what was that experience like for you? Obviously. I'm guessing it's a lot quicker, has a lot more downforce than a Formula 2 car. But what was your kind of initial impression getting to drive a Formula 1 car?
2: It's a, it's a strange one because you've got plenty of emotions, let's say. You've know you you spent the best part of 10, 15 years mm-hmm. getting yourself to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then when you first drive it, you've got the childhood excitement. You've got the adult excitement. You've got... <laughs> you know the nerves you've, you've got you've got everything that's that's involved in I suppose either just competing being excited I was excited for myself I excited for my family that I'd done it I was excited for my sponsors that come on the journey with me I was also nervous a little bit apprehensive but then as soon as I put the helmet on like most things I've done in motorsport as soon as you put the helmet on you're you're really in that zone um and yeah you, you drive out the pits and you're told what the run plan is because Formula One's very much it's not about you anymore. Whereas in the junior formula, it's all about you and getting you better, getting you to formula one or wherever your final destination is within motorsport. Whereas when you get to formula one, it's all about the team and making the car faster for them, especially as a reserve driver, you know, you're not the race driver. So you're running through a set plan and you can't argue with that, whatever the plan is, you know, like, right, that's what we've got to do. So it it became very much a job very quickly. Whereas I suppose in all the junior formula, it, it was still, you're a bit more in control of what's going on and what's happening rather than you're just a really, really small part of a massive cog. I think we've heard Lewis Hamilton say multiple times over the years, you know, I am just the, the small encog of a massive machine that's behind me and and that is that is true you know I I got into the car and drove it but the the speeds I mean it's the only time I've got into a race car and you're gone full throttle and thought oh that's actually quite quick and kind of that scared me but you know made me like have a bit of a you had to blink and take a breath and go oh that's that is really quick. Whereas all the, other, all the other steps, you know, from karting to cars, from then Formula Renault, even up to like Formula 2, it's, it's just normal steps. Where then from Formula 2 to Formula 1, it's like you've had to jump four steps. Um, it's just a big, big jump in, in performance. And, yeah, your neck takes a battering. And it's, uh, it's almost impossible to describe to someone that wouldn't even yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't know, if you know what I
1: mean. Did you, um, when you came to America uh, to run IndyCar, at that point, did you have a design of doing it to get back to F1 or did you just want to, you know, see what IndyCar was about?
2: Uh, No, for me, in my mind, I committed to America and five years, 10 years, whatever, 15 years, whatever that, look like I'd, I'd committed to it in my mind and um, i got a flat uh, downtown indianapolis and got myself an american bank account and you know i <laughs> i i'd made I'd, I'd made the switch you know in my in, right. in my head and, and with my family you know i remember my mum dropped me off at the airport um and yeah she struggled with the concept of this could be it for me obviously i can sort of fly back to the uk but you know i was I was at least going to be away for 9 months of the year and uh yeah unfortunately it didn't uh didn't turn into anything more but um it was a great experience.
1: You know it, it kind of walk us through that because when you go back and look at your stats you had a really good year with uh just when it came to qualifying and that sort of thing what what was it in that that um you know, I mean, uh, on the service, it looked like it was a, a really great performance. So, where, where do you think the disconnect came from? Yeah,
2: uh, well, it's, we've got the long answer or the short answer? Hey, um, man, I'm all
1: about long answers. But the long answer.
2: <laughs> well, we'll do the medium answer. Um, no, as you said, I had a great year. We had some really good results. You know, I think it was the first time um, ECR got into the Fast Six. Uh, for a few years, and, and we got there a few times. A little bit unlucky in a few races. We had a couple of um, kind of mechanical failures on the car. I think in Long Beach, we were running third behind. It was Rossi, e. Power, and myself. We had a, a brake failure, and we were on uh, sticker reds, and they were on old uh, blacks in front. So, you know, there was certain times that we were thinking, "Oh, this could be fantastic," and then it never quite quite happened you know that's just just one example um so yeah results i suppose fell a little bit short some at my hands some to lady luck and and everything else uh but yeah as, as you said speed really good qualifying really good couldn't grumble there uh, but as you know with motorsport it's uh, a big financial financial sport and you know without sport from partners and sponsors um and some of that onus comes on the driver a lot of the time the driver does bring funding uh, to the team uh and then obviously team finding good <coughs> sponsors and you know unfortunately there was a bit of a restructure i think within the team on on sponsorship uh and yeah that meant there was a there was a gap in the budget and i got a flight home pretty much right
1: yeah, that's, that's a tough part of the sport. I don't, uh, and it's worked its way through every level of the sport. It's not just at the high end of it anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes uh, just taking money deals to keep those, you know, when a team takes a money deal just to, so they can keep showing up at the track, I, I don't know how much that helps them or hurts them. You know what
2: I'm saying yeah uh, no I, I I do get what you're saying uh, but in the same instance you know it's still a business for right. all these teams you know, there's there's not many teams that it's not a business um, without putting any names you know there's a, there's a couple of teams on the grid that have some very very wealthy individuals behind them and it's probably less of a financial business for them because they make their money elsewhere but it's it is still a business there's prize money. There's TV rights, there is sponsorship money and and there's money floating around with drivers as well and and big money floating around with drivers. You you see it across the board um, in every line of motorsports, not just IndyCar, not just Formula One. Uh, But then you've also, because the boundaries to entry are so high financially, actually at the bottom of the sport, it's still very wealthy. you still have wealthy people getting to the top of the sport anyway. So, you know, right. it's, 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 it's not like it's going to be filtered out purely on, on talent. Um, but you do have that in other sports. You know, there is still, yeah. you know even if you take the college system within the NFL in America, if it wasn't for wealthy individuals back in colleges, they wouldn't be able to get the players to come to college without the financial support there and right. there's other other players that can go to college still play football and be there on talent but also have their own finances so you know, those boundaries are much lower that's thirty thousand a year not two million a year so you know right. it, it's it's all it's all on a scale and even to the extent of really really grassroots level can you afford trainers can you not you know there there, there is that level of of it um but motorsports just just larger than that and and that bill doesn't stop being paid by the driver investment until very very late whereas i think in other sports you get programs that pick up talent much younger and take them through where there is some of that but not to the same level you know as you mentioned with the college college system in nfl or back in europe with like the premier league football academies you know they're picking up 12 year olds there's the odd one or two but not in the tens of thousands like in i suppose more mainstream sports
1: right we um we talked to alex lloyd um quite some time ago now it was over a year ago and i remember him talking about uh running that the race in vegas where uh dan uh was unfortunately lost but he was talking about being out there and you know, he'd see their billboards and everything and he barely had enough money to buy food. And he was just talking about, man, it was just, it was kind of it was such an eye-opening moment for him. You know, it was kind of, I wouldn't say it was rock bottom. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was like, all right, what are, what are we really doing here? You know? Yeah, yeah.
2: No, I, you know, I've been afforded opportunities that I definitely wouldn't have been able to get if it wasn't for a good contact book some funding coming from somewhere and and that doesn't exist um if you don't have that you know if you just knocked if you were just joe blogs off the street and turned up on a door and said how do i become a racing driver it's yeah well you've got a big long list of 15 (laughs) years worth of stuff that you've got to do before you know it's 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 much much different and then there isn't an institutional you know at school you don't go and play motorsport school you know you go and play other sports at school you go and you have the school team and in there's public facilities to turn up and go and play baseball or whatever but there's not just a public racetrack with public cars to go and drive and see if you're any good with your mates oh do you fancy going down the park and just driving some race cars like it doesn't happen does it so
0: right
2: you know it's yeah as i say, the boundaries for entry are, are much higher and they keep going much longer i would say in motorsport
1: i agree
0: so with that carpenter you do just the road courses so i mean obviously you were kind of considered a road course specialist with all of your experience <laughs> in europe um and then 2019 you go back to formula two right you do the majority of a season and then you get a deal to run the indy 500 kind of talk about um how, how that kind of came about because at that point you hadn't driven on any ovals right yeah so i'd done one test
2: at phoenix okay. um so short oval uh not uh, not a speedway um yeah one one test um speaking to ray hall from the year before uh and yeah picked up a few sponsors that allowed me to go and do it. Um, I mean, it pretty much washed its face. Not not much more than that, but uh, I mean, fantastic experience. If you just take the Indy 500 as a sporting event, it is one of those pinch yourself moments. You know, I've been to some incredible sporting events, World Cup events, Champions League finals. Never actually been to a Super Bowl, unfortunately. Um, Super Bowl final, but yeah, uh, it, it's up there with, with that level, you know, 300,000 people paying to come and watch people play sport. So it, again, it was a surreal moment for me as a kid being like, I have been that person in the crowd watching athletes going, wow, how fantastic it is. And then I was one of those. And it's hard to actually, although you've worked towards it, believe that that is you. Um, I forgot what your first, your second part of the question was. <laughs>
0: Just, like, what, um, so obviously, I mean, well, first off, like, how much about the Indy 500 were you really familiar with, or, like, was that something you watched as a kid at all, or?
2: So, no, as a kid, didn't, didn't watch it, um, I think the first time it really jumped on my radar was when Dan Weldon won it second time, when JR hit the wall out of turn four, um, yeah, I was probably late teens then, that sort of that sort of age. That was the first time it kind of really hit my hit my radar. I knew about it, but didn't watch it. Um, and then coming to America, that but then you know you really start to realize at what level the event is on a on a world scale. Obviously, although it's only ever in one place and it never moves not like other sporting events it's still on a completely international scale on size and and hit and everything um so yeah to, to have qualified for it and done the race you know, unfortunately the race didn't quite go as i would have planned but um <laughs> it just yeah like um, unbelievable unbelievable
0: what was your first impression of i mean just driving on the track because a lot of people talk about like the first time you go into the first turn um wide open um, it's, it, it can be a little intimidating how narrow the track really is when you're going that fast. Like, what, how, how hard was it for you to kind of adapt to, to doing that?
2: Uh, yes, very. And yes, not a lot. It, it, a bit of both. Um, you build it up in your mind, obviously, you know, going at that speed, I think the top speed, 240 miles an hour. I mean, first of all, I've never been that fast. Yeah. I've <laughs> probably topped 200, but not 240. You know, that's another. Another big chunk on added on top um so there's a psychological element of we're going very quick here there's concrete walls either side of you um and the idea is to be flat out but on the edge flat out at this speed um so yeah there's psychological barriers of building yourself up and i'd experienced it the year before you know i'd followed the team i'd been to the races i'd done it all i'd seen some big crashes and in the past you know, you'd seen some fatal accidents. So there's always that little bit in your mind. Again, once the helmet goes on, it kind of disappears, but on the build up to it, it's there. Um, luckily, I had some great advice from Ed Carpenter. You know, I was with him for a year. He gave me some good advice. Uh, and then Ray Hall did a fantastic job of, of coaching me into it. Um, the main thing is obviously building up. But then at the end of the day, although I didn't have the experience, and, and the older guys who have got plenty of experience still do fantastically well at the 500 because it's very much on feel. Um, it is still a steering wheel. You still have two pedals. You still have gears. You still have a clutch. You still have all the other stuff that you normally drive. You just have to drive it slightly differently. So as long as you kind of just adapt to, I still have to turn a wheel. I still have to press the two pedals <laughs> You know, and, and, and just drive without trying to make it sound too simple. Um, yeah, Just lean on that inner talent that you've built up over the years.
1: Now, you got to do Lamar and Speedway both for the first time in the same year.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was That's 2019 insane. was a very busy year for me. Yeah,
1: can well, kind I mean, of explain, uh, yeah, kind of explain what that yeah. was like. I mean, just you had you know the two arguably the two biggest races in the world, uh, and all the pomp and circumstance that went along with both of them.
2: Well, if, if it wasn't for the Indy 500 being on the same weekend, I would have done Monaco, Indy 500, and Le Mans. <laughs> uh, so, that, yeah, that would have been even, even better. But no, I obviously missed, uh, missed Monaco for Indy 500. Uh, yeah, as a sporting event, still fantastic. Le Mans, it's, it's a brilliant event. Um, on par with Indy 500, but for completely different reasons. <coughs> um, I love the endurance racing. From a challenge standpoint, you know, you're getting out of the car, you put your teammate back in, you've got to then, like, recover, go again. Le Mans is just that on steroids. You know, I was woken up at 2 a.m. in the morning after 20 minutes sleep, and it's cold, and you have a quick shower to, like, freshen yourself up, and then you put your race suit on, and you're jumping in the car, and you get into the – you're, like, in a warm race suit because it's been in a, you know, dryer – and then you get in, and the seat's wet because everyone's weeing and sweating in it. Obviously, um, so it, it's just it, it's just a fantastic event, and and there's hundreds of thousands of people there. It's a party for them. It's competition for you. You're there for like two weeks, living in a caravan. It's yeah, it's just a great it's just a great event. Really good event. Great racing. Um, awesome circuit you know, a really challenging circuit, probably actually one of the most challenging circuits I've ever driven on. Um, it's just so unique. And yeah, it's just it's a great event. Huh. Any, I mean, anyone, so- anyone listening, go. If you haven't been to Indy 500 and you haven't been to Le Mans, put them on your bucket list and, and do it. It's, they're, they're both fantastic.
0: So obviously we're talking about the most prestigious race in the US and the most prestigious race in Europe. Um, I mean, how how do you think really the the fanfare and the pageantry and everything kind of compares? I mean, obviously they're both a very big deal. And where do you think some maybe some key differences are between the two? Um in that regard? I, I think I think firstly, America do pageantry
2: and fanfare on steroids compared to the rest of the world. And uh the French don't do it too well, I suppose is probably the short answer. So yeah, you know we're Indy Five Hundred. Um, I think it was a B two bomber flyover on the year that I did it, and I'd never actually seen one fly before. And it was must have only been a few hundred yards above us, but dead silent. Designed, obviously.
1: Oh, it's um, insane.
2: Yeah, and it was yeah, and then they got the other flyovers and just the excitement within the crowd and the people around, and also the people working there. What you've got to remember is everyone working in IndyCar are more passionate about the fans about winning about wanting to do it and they do it for the 500 and they love it more than everyone else so it's not just a great show or the greatest spectacle of motorsport as it's as it's labeled everyone is so passionate behind the scenes and they all just love it and the energy that's then in the paddock the energy that's in the grandstand and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words and describe to, yeah. to people without. Unless you've been there and sure. seen it, it's one thing. And and then to actually be, I suppose, the center of attention, one of the thirty-three drivers. You're. It's it's just on a different different level.
0: And then, so at Lamar, you got to race for the Jackie Chan, um, <coughs> racing team, and I always thought that was really cool operation. I went to the twenty-four Hours of Daytona when they raced there um and it's just that they have really cool paint schemes but kind of what was that experience like working with jackie chan racing and first off did you actually get to meet jackie chan like was he around at all or no i i never met never met jackie unfortunately um so the the team uh,
2: that actually ran it behind the scenes a uh, bit of a structural thing so jackie chan racing was effectively the sponsor that, mm-hmm. that ran it and the people behind the scenes jota if you've, you've heard of them or seen them yeah um, they're now running, I think, one of the Porsche cars in hypercar this year. Um, so yeah, it was those guys that were actually the kind of the hands-on deck and uh, really professional team. You know, they, they'd won so much in the past. Uh, in LMP2, they had a second overall finish, second and third overall finish in Le Mans one year. I mean, the the LMP1 cars had broke down, but. That's uh that's one for the history books. Um so yeah, super, super professional. And you know, on on debut for racing with them within the World Endurance Championship, we won in Sebring, um, the uh thousand miles of sebring Again, just great race. Um, and and then you go you go to Le mans with the high of that, and you come there and you know you've got a good shot at it. You know, we qualified at the front. We were racing well, and it's yeah, you just go from it's sunny, it's warm, to then going to dusk, it's then dark and cold, and then the sun comes back up. And, you know, you, the sun comes up and you're like, oh, we're getting towards the end. It's like, no, you're only halfway. Like, it, you've <laughs> still got another 12 hours to go. So it's, yeah, it's it's just an awesome event to to partake in.
1: Absolutely. Do you think that, um, I mean, I, what that is one, kind of one thing America is missing is uh i mean we've got the 24 hours of daytona which is a, a great event um but i i think that america is missing a little a little bit from not having a um you know a really big sports car race you know like something that's on par with Le Mans. um do you think that i mean in your experience with being in america being In Europe, do you think that's something America could support? Or is it is it just kinda not in Americans like how we're how we're built? I I think it is it's something that's easily supported in
2: America. You know, it's it's a big economy, it's a big country, you've got the infrastructure, you've got the racetracks, it's definitely possible. I think the issue with a lot of sporting events, they're born from something that just didn't exist and you know the Indy 500 works on that level because you've got a hundred and it's, it's almost 110 years isn't it because there was a couple of years missed during the war but there's you know over 100 years of history that's mm-hmm. that's involved with it and you look where it started you know it was a bunch of guys that wanted to drive a car and you know it, right. it took them. Took them ten hours back in back in the day, and, and now they do it in two and a half. And right. and it and it's evolved from nothing all the way through to this fantastic sporting event that is today. Le Mans is very much the same. It's it was a bunch of guys that thought, well, let's just go and race for twenty four hours because twenty four hours is a day. Like why not? Let's let's do it. There's a little bit more to it than that, but you know it's it's then it's, it's then grown to to what it is today. The, the Isle of Man TT is on that. On that level um i think island man actually outscores them on oldest by a couple of years um Mm -hmm. so you know you you've got these fantastic things that have just become something from nothing um and you look at the development of sport around the world and all sports have come from something that's completely different and, and grown in something bigger So that's what I would say the issue is with suddenly going, we want a big sports race, sports car race. We want to have 200,000 people turn up and we want to compete with Le Mans. It's like, well, you've got a hundred years worth of history to compete with Le Mans and it's not Le Mans. (laughs) You know, there's the Dubai 24 hours. great event, but it's not Le Mans and it will never be Le Mans. Um, and, And I think there's all these like quirky things within the sporting world that just stand out like look at the the rider cup right you know? or but it's, it's or, hard to
1: create it's hard to it's hard to manufacture in a bit, right they just exactly kind of just organic that, yeah exactly that that i think that's my
2: point Yeah, you know, like america's cup yeah. what's the point of america's cup right yeah you know, <laughs> two countries competing each other the holder of it gets priority sets the rules You're spending hundreds of millions of pounds to build these boats for just the other country Mm. that qualify to compete against you to get like it's it's completely ludicrous, but it's fantastic. It's like it's a great sporting event, and I love watching it. So I I think all these things, you know, within cricket, you've got the ashes. You know, ashes is probably the biggest event within cricket, bigger than the World Cup. And it was done when England and Australia played each other hundred years ago, whatever. And at the end of the first test match, they burnt the ashes from the bales and put them in a little urn. And now every year they play against each other for the ashes from the fair. And it's now like the biggest event in cricket, but it's only ever between England and Australia and no one else cares about it. But it's, you know, it's just a fantastic right. event because it's got this history behind it. So as, as you say, it's got to be organic, I think, for something to really... Be on that scale whereas if you just suddenly said here's a racetrack everyone come here have a load of fun it becomes a divide 24 hours and that's just another race that some people do some people don't and no one's bothered where for like le mans you know getting an entry from of people would pay their right arm to get an entry into le mans
0: yeah no i, I fully understand what you're saying. We're having raced in Europe and America. Where do you kind of think that how does the comp- competition level kind of compare between the drivers? Because people look at Europe and you know, kind of the ladder or the road to Formula One, you know, you think of some of the best road course racers in the world, and obviously, you, know, you race IndyCar, um, and all road courses. Like, how do you think the competition level really compares between America and Europe?
2: Uh, it's IndyCar is is definitely up there within the European uh, sphere of, of level of talent, let's say. Um, yeah, because I think everything's still just as competitive. Um, you know, even playing at 10 years old, it's still just as competitive, just not very good quality, you know. So, um, yeah, IndyCar is up there on, on the level of the quality. Um, I think it tails off quite quickly in the junior formula within the America... Uh, ladder and you know you can see that with the grid size and when some of the young guys from america jumped straight over to europe um they've not had the the build up as much you see the, the kind of the good american drivers from a young age have come over to europe very early and that's just just the size of it you know to be good you have to be competing against the best and everyone around the world in karting turns up in italy effectively um, from Far East Asia through to America, if you want to get good, you have to put yourself against the best to see how good you are. Um, so yeah, the, the level of motorsport further down the ladder is is much higher. Um, I think purely from just it's a numbers game, and it comes back to probably history. I don't know why karting's all in Italy. Don't really know why it's become. Hmm. main centre of of karting in the world um you know when you look at like the world championships i'd probably say five times out of ten it's held in italy um you know it's the world championships but why always italy uh and and yeah and then within the european scene within in cars the junior formula again because it's formula one is quite european centric you know mainly out of england from where it Um, where it started from with Bernie Eccleston taking it on. You've got the junior formulas stay there. You want to reach Formula One, you've got to be in that world. Um, But then you look at the top end of America sports car racing and the good sports car teams come over to Europe, compete very well. The good European teams go over to America and if not struggle a little bit more over there because it's a little bit more unique you know the racing in america different circuits different quality of circuits local knowledge always counts for a lot um yeah that's that's about it really i think
1: right so you're uh you you've been doing a little formula e as well correct yes how you know of course uh electric racing is been a little bit of a topic on this show um, you know, some some people see it as a future, uh, others see it as just another form of racing. What has been your your takeaway from Formula E?
2: Um I think you probably you touched on it quite well with all of those. It is it is a bit of all of it. Um it depends where motorsport goes, I suppose long term. In in my mind you know we've got a bit of an identity finding our identity within motorsport you know formula one have gone down the we're trying to be sustainable route and we're gonna have carbon neutral this and x y and z and uh you know net zero is obviously you know for me that word net zero is a complete made up fabrication of of the truth when any it just depends any company, on how you
1: do the math right
2: exactly any company that says they're net zero it's like yeah but what's yeah anyway that's right. a different story and sure. uh yeah formulary e sits sits well in that crossover you know the world clearly is pushed quite hard um for electric cars or especially the first the first world has pushed quite hard for it As so that without being uh, branded there's a one car company that only makes electric cars that's stocks gone very high and made some person very wealthy <laughs> off the back of it so um yeah, clearly the world thinks that that's at least a direction or a solution for a period of time um, or an option for a solution in the future. And formulary e has mm-hmm. taken that and actually done a very good job. You know, A lot of the tech that's involved in formulary e has then been used in the road market. You know, like a lot of things, motorsport, it moves quickly. It's about performance, but with performance comes it's Formula E world efficiency. And you know the the regen that's involved, the the knowledge that is gathered it can be used quite quickly. We're actually on the road. You know, people won't be trying all these things because there's no need to. We're obviously to win races, you've got to be pushing the boundaries. Um, so, so there is that element. Um, I'm not sure Formula e will ever be bigger than something like Formula One. You know, if it got if it ever got to that point, Formula One would solve the problem. They're just on a completely different different scale you know right but your know, formula one's right just 30 times bigger than formula e so if right. if they felt threatened by formula e at one point they would solve it pretty quickly you know a bit like google when someone gets a little bit too big for their liking they'll just solve the problem normally by buying it or producing what they're producing so um it's it's got its uh, it's got its moment in time it's got its place in the market uh, I enjoy working in it. I think there's actually some really good stuff coming out of it, as I've, I've mentioned. Um, whether electric cars are the final solution in the real world, who knows? I, don't, I can't answer that question.
0: Right. Um,
2: but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a good championship. And actually as racing goes, it's probably one of the best championships on the world for racing. They've got some very good drivers in it and some very good racing.
1: Yeah, I watched a, I watched a parts of races. Uh, I I didn't watch full races. I I have kind of this year decided I'm going to try to watch, just uh, you know, a few races just to see. You know, I mean, you can't you can't get an idea what it's about just tuning in now. You you have yeah, to kind yeah. of pay attention. I think it's so. any, it is any is
2: any sport unless you right. actually pay attention and live and breathe it, you don't get enjoyment out of it. I used to love football, sorry, soccer. I used to lo- love soccer. Played it all the time. It was my dream.
1: We we won't hold it against you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're
2: not against me. And <laughs> and now, you know, I, I I will see it on the TV and I'll struggle to engage with it because I'm just so detached and busy. I don't watch it. I don't see the games every night. I you're you watching a like, guy. Oh, I enjoy watching it, but I'm not emotionally invested, and I don't know all the players, and I don't know right.
1: who's
2: doing well, who's doing bad. And it, I think it's the same in motorsport. And you've got all these other options. If Formula One's your thing, you've probably not got enough time to check out IndyCar or World Endurance or Formula E. But if IndyCar's your thing, you've also probably not got enough time to check out F1 and you know and really engage in it on the same level and be involved emotionally with it.
1: Right. And that is a problem I think IndyCar <clears throat> has. Uh... Is emotionally, I mean, I think people watch it a little bit in passing, and you don't have near the emotional attachment as F1 has garnered, uh, recently, you know, over the last four years.
2: Yeah, I mean, Formula One obviously globally is on a really big scale, and I think with Liberty taking over Formula One, they're going after the American market quite hard. I think they've now announced what
0: four races in America, is it three or four? Miami, I think it's, I think Miami it's three, Vegas, and Texas.
2: Yeah, that's for this year, isn't it? But then they've announced they want to get a fourth. Or Anyway. I, I didn't um, know that. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just only going to be three. Well, no, but, you, but either way, three three races in one country. Okay, America is the size of Europe. And Europe's got ten races, for argument's sake. But it's still only in one country where you all speak the same language all pay your taxes to the same government you know what i mean so right that close shows clear intent in in where they want to grow an audience and where they see a potential growth in audience and revenue stream from it um so yeah you you might find that it grows more and more within america with the netflix drive to survive yeah it has been a massive thing for america like it brought in so many people into the sport who never watched it before um even people i grew up with who knew i raced who saw me miss school knew who i was and then would watch netflix and be like oh my god i didn't realize that's what you know like, like i've only known you for like 15 years but anyway
1: <laughs> i mean this is this
0: is sort of my life here <laughs> you know, yeah exactly <laughs> So you're involved oh. with the Alpine F1 team as a development driver? I mean, a a, a um, simulator, simulator driver? Yeah,
2: right. Yeah,
0: they'll, they'll tell me off if I don't correct you. It's actually Alpine. Yeah, no, I was going to say, be careful.
2: Yeah, be they'll, careful. They'll tell me off. There's a whole thing about it. Um, yes, I uh, I do a lot of their development work on their simulator. So, so this time of year, it's all pre season development, and then during the season, uh, it's a mixture of current development, future development, and then race support
0: uh, on a race weekend. How is, do you think like being a regular test driver kind of progressed into this, you know, kind of this simulator driver world? Because I mean, if it would have been seven years ago, you probably would be considered a test driver, right? Like the simulator driver is pretty, pretty new, I think, right?
2: Yeah, you we went back 10, 15 years, they had test
0: teams. So you had the race team
2: and a mm-hmm. test team and there was a test driver, and he was did 200 days with the test team that was completely separate to the race team. That all got banned, and hence why they, you know, like all these things, they ban them. It doesn't suddenly save money. They still have the money. They just spend it elsewhere. So they then developed all these high-tech simulators, which uh, have moved on a lot since their first conception. Um, so, yeah, obviously, unfortunately for me, um lost down the IndyCar stuff and... It couldn't quite make it work, and then COVID happened, and it was during COVID they then gave me the call. Um, well, I got the call from from them, and yeah, jumped up into the Alpine role, and I've been there ever since. It'll be three years this year.
1: That's a pretty important role. That that man. That, and I'm sure that's a coveted spot too, right? I mean, people, you know, to be associated with those teams. I mean. Um, you know, there's a, was a somewhat security in having that job, you know, I mean, you, you were making a paycheck and, and uh, you're contributing. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot, there's a lot to be proud of in, in that I feel.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I'm, I suppose the child in me is very disappointed that I didn't right. quite achieve what I set out to achieve. You know, I wanted to be a Formula One world champion and, I'd I be completely lying if I would say I'm not hurt when I look in the mirror and I'm sure. not, um, but then I look at what I have achieved and the journey I've come on, you know, that's that's something I can uh, get excited about. And then what I'm doing for a living now with all my mixture roles, you know, it's busy and can be very time consuming, but it, uh, you know, it beats a lot of other jobs out there. So I'm not going to complain. Yeah.
1: You Absolutely. better believe that, bud um do you think do you see any scenario that brings you back to america someone paying my mortgage there um, you go <laughs> there you go
2: <laughs> um yeah i no, i i'm i'm happy to come and jump in any car and and do anything you know i'm not i'm not one that's set on, on one thing in individual but yeah as you say uh about the you know the paycheck side of things for me it has to be at least financially worthwhile to you know pay my yeah. mortgage and put food yeah. on the table. That's that that's where I'm at
1: with it. So yeah, you you've, you've uh, progressed a little bit beyond living in your vehicle and and just yeah you know, yeah. yeah you know at some point I'm, you got to give that part of the dream up.
2: No, I'm I'm happy to still rent a flat and cook ready meals and be that kind of student again,
1: uh, right.
2: but. Yeah, and I'm, I need to at least
0: be able to walk away with uh, with with the bills paid, <laughs> right? Well, uh, well, I don't have anything else. Unless you have something, Scott. Hey, man, I I don't. I I really
1: uh, enjoyed our talk, though, and uh, you know, hopefully, you do make it back to the states and get another uh, good opportunity to run IndyCar if you want it uh, at some point. I I, I, def- I definitely want it. It's it's if the opportunity is right sure i just you know it's just like anything else you know you you had such a great showing and it just uh you know i'm like you said i'm sure the economics and the timing and everything how this sport can be it just yeah Yeah. it just cuts you off the knees sometimes but it's it's absolutely been a pleasure
2: no thanks for having me